I I misused your word and I taught it so wrong and I led people down a, a really unbiblical way. Like, I am so sorry. And it just, it hurt my heart so much like that I did that and that I was a part of that. And, um, but there was just so much freedom in understanding the gospel, you know, that it wasn't about money. It wasn't about like what we would get now and like, um, and like submission and all of that. Um, it wasn't about any of that, you know, it was that, you know, I'm a sinner and Christ died for me and, and resurrected and there was nothing that I could do to earn it. There wasn't enough discipleship classes. There wasn't enough volunteering. There wasn't, um, you know, it didn't matter how many late nights we stayed at the pastor's house or in meetings, like that was irrelevant to what Christ did. Um, and it was just, gosh, it was, it was a hard, painful moment, but also so beautiful to just I don't know, have my eyes finally opened. Welcome to the Not Ashamed Podcast, where we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We're here to help you rebuild your theology in light of God's grace, love, and the truth committing holiness. The topic for this month is, what are red flags of an unhealthy church? We are joined by our special guest, Dulce Johnson, who you may recognize from her social media accounts by the name of Honest Nessie Life. It is so good to have you, Dulce. Hi, thanks so much for having me. And Andrew, it's always good to have you part of, as part of the discussion. Hey, everyone. And uh, for the first time, I'm joined by my husband, Cole. Hello there. It's good to have you. It's good to be here. Normally, I'd be off in the other room after arts. You get to see what goes on behind the scenes. Um, so, Dulce, before we dive into our topic about red flags to the unhealthy church, it would be really helpful for our listeners to hear some more of your story. Would you mind to just share the summarized version with us as well as where our listeners can find you? Yeah. Um, so, I'll start off with where people can find me uh, because I'll probably forget if I do that at the end. Um, so I'm on Instagram and Facebook and on TikTok um, under the Honest Messy Life. Um, just all together, no nothing in between. And so it's just the Honest Messy Life. Um, and so I started the Honest Messy Life about two years ago now. Um, it was about six, seven months after I left um, a church that I had been a part of for nine years. Um, it was a place that I thought I was going to grow old in. Uh, well, I started attending there when I was 17. Um, it was my first exposure to Christianity. Uh, but we didn't grow up really religious. Um, we only went to like a Catholic church, like for like special events. Um, but really wasn't taught much about God, um, about the Bible or anything like that. But I was I was experiencing like depression and just kind of really going through a hard time. Um, and I had a friend who was constantly inviting me uh, to church. And finally, one day I was like, okay, I'll go. She looks really happy. I want to be happy. Um, so let's do this. And I went and it was like, I don't know, like, again, I had no prior experience. So I was like, wow, like, this isn't what I imagined church to be like. I just thought like everything was more like the catholic style uh but this was more um you know there's the music um the dancing like a lot of humor um so i felt really relatable especially as a 17 year old and so um i basically went from like no christianity to all in 
um, really fast where I met my husband and we, um, you know, we had our kids there and we were in leadership serving, um, our, our life revolved around the church. And so, um, I mean, that was our life. Everything we did was to benefit the church in any way, shape or form, um, whether it was reaching out to people, trying to grow our group, giving her money, um, serving on Sundays and throughout the week. And, um, so yeah, that was our life. Like we thought that was it. And, um, until my husband decided to start having these crazy questions about the teachings and it was a really like, that was like a big no, no. Like we don't, we don't go to outside sources to ask questions. We don't, um, that's like what the pastor says goes and that's it, you know? And it's like, they just, they kept reassuring me that he was just going through a phase um, but again, he had like, there was like red flags popping up for him and, um, we got to a point where, you know, I was talking to our pastor at the time and he told me that because my husband wasn't submitting to him, um, I didn't need to submit to my husband. Um, so that created a lot of division in our home, um, as you would probably guess. <laughs> and so, you know, we're here like, basically finding like cats and dogs for eight months because I was like not listening to him. Like, no, like, sorry. I like, I, don't, I got confirmation. I don't need to listen to you. Um, which again, these things really hard. <laughs> like, um, but it, like that was our mindset was just staying undercover. And, um, and again, my husband tried to, to leave in a good way, but there was just no way to do that. Um, and finally, by the end of those eight months, um, I was just tired of like our marriage falling apart. And I was like, okay, like if I have to, you know, I mean, there are some other circumstances getting to that point, but I finally was just tired of like fighting and I was like, okay, let's just try to make this work. Um, let's see what happens. And so, yeah, I finally left. Um, they kept, you know, they tried to reel me back in, um, because, it was, you know, for them, they explained it as this isn't something that we believe God would do. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and of course, I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's happening. And, um, but yeah, but then finally, I was like, no, like, I really believe that God is like, I felt like the word unity kept coming up. And I was like, okay, like, I just, I want my family to be united and together. Um, and so, yeah, so then I left and then I was like, kind of, Again, I didn't leave for theological reasons at the time or anything. Like, I was just trying to save my marriage. Um, and it wasn't until, like, a month later that um, that that's when I, I listened to um, a YouTube video of someone. Uh, there's a woman interviewing the authors of um, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. And I was listening to that, just driving, and just all these, like, light bulbs start like turning on and I was like what in the world like wait what that wasn't normal like all these things they're listing off and I was like but how like they was our normal though but and they weren't red flags and so I think just having someone to like put words into my experience was just so helpful and that's when I finally realized like oh my gosh I'm so glad that we left and so that's the, probably the quickest way I can share a <laughs> story <laughs> Um, it could go on forever, but, um, but we're in a much better place now. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, man, I have so many questions, but I'm sure some of those will come out as we continue this conversation. 
Uh, Andrew, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on Dulce's story and what you can relate to or what stands out to you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I really appreciate your page first. I wanted to share that because uh, it was a, it was a huge resource for me when I came out. Um, and hearing your story um, is really helpful because a lot of people when they're dealing with this, especially at least for me, you feel like you're dealing with it all by yourself. Like no one else is having these questions. Uh, no one else is seeing it from your perspective. And even though you have like, you know, scripture backing you and you've done your study, uh, you feel like you feel maybe like unjustified because of how people respond. So um, it was very validating to see that you know, those that that's not an isolated incident. You're not by yourself and that our people are coming forward and, um, you know, rejecting bad teaching and cultish environments. Um, and I saw a lot of what you should describe and your experience and my wife and I's own experience leaving our church um, because we had a lot of people that, you know, um, just were very uh, unreceptive. Um, I mean, we just didn't feel like we had any advocates for us in our own church. And so we were just led to kind of go at it by ourselves, but we had to make the decision based off of our, um, our convictions off of studying and reading the word. And that's why I really appreciate the content you put out because it's not just the way they portray it is, you know, you left the church cause you want to pursue, you know, your quote unquote worldly lust or whatever, but it's really you 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 come out of the church because of un, uh, a greater understanding of the word of God and uh, of you know, scriptural accuracy. So uh, I'm sure there's more that could be drawn out in, in the rest of this podcast for your story, but I, I really appreciate that aspect of it. And so Dulcine, one of the reasons we're really excited to have this conversation with you in particular is it seemed like, especially when Andrew and I were, were chatting about it, that the church that that was toxic that you were involved in um, kind of marketed itself more mainstream, at least it looked more mainstream, more normal from the outside, whereas the groups that Andrew and I would come from, like, you know, they, they a lot of times are known for they want to look different, they want to look separate. So we have the long jean skirts and the long hair, no jewelry, no makeup, etc. And it's like different, different, different. We are different. Um, whereas yours, what I've seen of it, it, it looks, it looks kind of mainstream. Would, would you agree with that? And do you think that was intentional? Um, I would say mainstream in like the sense of like a more seeker friendly sort of church. Um, so, um, like hyper charismatic, like the lights, the music, the, you know, the smoke, all of that, like just very like like a concert, you know, is what it felt like. Um, I mean, in the church that I'm going to now, it's like just so different, you know, it's like, <laughs> but before it just, it felt like a performance and like, we're trying to get something out of that. And so, yeah, it was, it was definitely more like a, you know, what you would imagine like an art church to be like. Um, and so like, so I was part of G12 and I know I've heard people um, who've also loved G12 say that um, the, the main leader of B12 has wanted it to be like the Latin Hill song, you know? And so mm -hmm. like, if that's kind of a way to paint a picture. And so, 
Yeah. Um, granted, the church that I was a part of wasn't as big as some of the other D12 churches, um, but it still had like that same kind of culture and atmosphere. Do you mind if I read the church creed that you posted? Um, yeah, I find this really interesting. Cole and I were looking at your content today. So it says, our creed, today I will hear the word of God. His word will increase my faith. My faith then fuels my imagination. My imagination forms my thoughts. My thoughts inspire my words and my words bring my world. I declare I have reached it changing point in my life and my heart my home and my finances will never 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 be the same again three three two or three explanation points yes we said that every service before the pastor came up on stage uh or as he came up on stage we would say that every service everyone out loud as passionate you know you had to make sure you believed it so yep wow (laughs) <laughs> so would you would you category would you identify that as in the category of like word of faith oh yeah definitely a word of faith prosperity gospel type of church um i mean we were really into like trying to speak things into existence um giving money and expecting that there would be a return um in money as well and in success and all these other areas yeah, of our lives the harvest oh, of yes. course <laughs> So, like, even my husband and I, we were on stage doing these tithing messages that they do every single week. And in the middle of worship, you know, it's like, you know, the, the stage is set for them to already be emotional. We come up on stage and we're like, you know, this is our word on intentional generosity is what we would say. And, um, and you know, give our spiel of, you know, out of context verses on, you know, how God's blessed us because of our money mm-hmm. and what he's done. and um and so you know just trying to tie everything together and hoping that people would give more money wow wow yeah this is like mind blowing. but the emotionalism i can i can totally relate to that um just hyping up the environment even though uh the churches we came from me personally anyways they were not seeker friendly they actually pride themselves in not being seeker friendly um <laughs> But there was still so much emotionalism, so much hype, so much getting the the beat right, um, man, in, in working people up and into a literal frenzy until we're literally running around the church and falling in the ground and rolling. And yeah, so that emotionalism part, I, I can relate to that. But Cole, one of the reasons um, we thought it would be really cool to have you on this particular episode is because you actually encountered word of faith and even though you grew up conservative christian you found that appealing for i think you said the greater part of the year yeah i was going to a small rural church out in oregon with my family and we just met in a grange building very small congregation and there was an older fellow there who was at that time of my life kind of a friend slash mentor. I was trying to figure out my career plans, where I was supposed to go to school, all of that. He had a life coaching thing that he did on the side. And so he was meeting with me for coffee quite a bit. And along the way, he was introducing me to uh, Andrew Womack, Womack, if that's how you pronounce the guy's Mm -hmm. name. 
Anyway, he was loaning me some CDs and I'm like, I've never heard of any of this, but you know, there is something interesting, compelling if you don't, if, if you're not coming into it, which I wasn't at the time, if, if you're not like as critical and as Berean, a Bible reader, you're like, oh, you're reading Isaiah 53 this way. Oh, you are, it's calling out. Yeah, whatever you ask for this way, this is what his sacrifice has, has given you. And sure, physical healing, all of that is covered by the atonement. But that doesn't mean we're going to see it. We're going to experience all of that including our glorified bodies, including no physical death. Obviously, so many things now that seem quite clear and consistent with the rest of Scripture, I failed to see then. So, yeah, there was an appeal to some of that with the time. I kind of sucked up a little bit of that. And I will just say that around that same time also, I had a very good friend. I would consider him my best friend at the time, his dad was uh, sick with cancer and was getting close to passing. And the guy who had been mentoring me, who had been sharing this kind of word of faith stuff with me, uh, then myself included, we were just like, oh, well, be sure to have faith through this. You know, God doesn't want your dad to be sick. And I don't know if that was the reason, but I don't. I definitely remember my very good friendship with this guy didn't last too much longer after that. Mm-hmm. We also started going to a different church. So it was not a point in my life I'm very proud of now, theologically speaking, or just friendship wise. I think that that was a very poor way to read the Bible, and a very poor way to try to encourage other people with it, given that God works in all sorts of ways. And yeah, I'm very sad and embarrassed by how I took that and just started putting that out there without being more critical, biblical in my study of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that again, that was trying to make itself compatible. Those ideas were trying to make themselves compatible with just general Christianity. They were trying to slip in there. It's not like I was required to go to that church or some other specific church and I wasn't aware of all the other word of faith influencers, speakers, authors out there. If I had been at the time and I could name names, you know, all the, the really weird ones, I would have been like, whoa, <laughs> this guy's with them. But like Justin Peters um, likes to say, he's one of my favorite apologists who kind of specializes in that area. He's like, oh, yeah, Andrew Womack. Oh, yeah, okay. he's one of the more friendly faced, normal looking ones. Um, <laughs> so for whatever that's worth. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a very attractive theology. It is. Uh, it sounds great. And I actually even... At first glance, it's like, sure, yeah, that's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I even have seen it in some of the movement that I came from. There were fellowships within that movement that was like, if you truly have faith, you'll never be sick. You'll never, uh, you'll be healed of migraines or healed of, you know, even chronic diseases. Um, so it's... It's attractive at first, but I've also seen it devastate people's faith, their real faith in Christ, when those faith promises aren't fulfilled, which is a tragedy. But moving the conversation on, um, don't say I'm. I would love to hear more about 
so I understand that, um, you know, when you were first coming into that church, you didn't understand healthy Christianity. You didn't have a really good basis in scripture. So it would have been, you know, very difficult for you to see red flags because you didn't know what to look for. But going back, um, I would be curious if knowing what you know now, what red flags could you, ha- could you have seen in that church? And I ask that because, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are in that transition period where they're going from an unhealthy church and trying to find a healthy church, but they don't know what a healthy church looks like. And it can be pretty frightening and, you know, worried we're going to go from the frying pan to the fire, especially when they see people they respect, like Andrew or you, who, you know, went to unhealthy churches. And it's like, oh, well, if they thought it looked so healthy and then it ended up being, you know, what your experience was, how can I ever find a healthy church? So I'm really curious to hear what red flags were there for you to have seen if only you'd known what to look for. Gosh, that's such a great question. And I feel like it's one of those questions that I could make the longest list for. Um, and yeah, I'll probably have to like make a blog post about it just because I think more people like need these like resources on how to identify red flags. Um, but I'd say now, knowing what I know now, one of the first red flags um, that I would have seen is the proof texting. So um, getting verses um, to prove their point. Um, I just thought that I was like, oh, wow, like, that's how you read the Bible. Like, that was instant. Like, oh, okay, that's so easy. Like, you know, it's like, what, you know, so it's like the the verses that were shared on Sunday, there were just, you know, one verse here, one verse there, one verse here, you know. Um, and again, they were just all there to prove his point. Um, and not really like the context of the actual scriptures. Um, and so that would be like my first red flag is the way that they handle the scriptures. Um, the other thing um, that goes along with that was we were taught how to journal. Um, and I'm doing like air quotes <laughs> um, because it wasn't, again, a helpful way on how to read the Bible. It was, again, putting ourselves into the text, making ourselves the focal point, making ourselves the heroes. Um, and so just whenever we would read, you know, because I read the Bible like almost every, like front and back every year during that time. Um, but it, it's just so sad that I didn't know that I was reading it so wrong because the focus was on me and not really on God and and on what Jesus did. Um, it was about going after my dreams and, you know, trying to be successful and like, just like making something out of what really wasn't there. And so, um, yeah, the, the journaling method there was not helpful because it was just what, you know, what, what did God speak to you about today is what was the, like basically the main question. And, And then it's like, how could you apply that to your life? And so, Um, And again, it always just kind of came down to prosperity and success and just our needs and our wants, um, because that's what we thought God wanted for us. And so um, another red flag um, would be the fear of authority. Um, That's a huge one because, like, I was terrified of the pastor's wife, um, but I didn't know that that wasn't normal. And but it was just because of the like the teachings um, like, let's say, for example, John Devere's book, Undercover, um, you know, talked about, like, if you're not under your pastor's covering, like, God's going to curse you. 
like, and so that was like one of the first, um, one of the first books that I read there. Um, so that like really set me up to just really just submit blindly. Um, and so, um, so yeah, like, I think like if they're like demanding respect, like that's a red flag, you know? Um, like it's not something that you demand, you know, it's like if they're snapping their fingers at you, which again happened to us, you know, but it's like, we, it's like, oh, that's the pastor. That's, or that's his wife, you know? So, you know, she was more like tough love kind of person, um, she would say, but it's like, looking back, I'm like, mm, that was like borderline abusive, if not abusive, you know? Um, and yeah, it's like just having that fear of always like trying to make sure that they were happy and like that we were good and like. You never wanted to be the one like called out in a leadership meeting for like not like meeting the standards. We were like um, like during leadership meetings, we were like again snapped at like being told like if you guys need to ask questions, like this is your time to ask questions. We're adults, we're not baby Christians, and so it's like everyone's just on edge, like okay. And so um, again, just that fear of authority was just huge there because everyone just submitted to their leaders. Um. The next uh, red flag, again, would be the tithing messages, um, the way that they talked about money, um, because not only was there, like, the the weekly tithing messages, but then, like, once a year, there's also, like, um, the they called it a heart for the house offering. And so this is when you brought your big offering uh, for whatever projects needed to be done or whatever, you know, I don't know. Because I say I don't know because the projects I don't think were ever actually done. <laughs> And so it's like they had like these big like, oh, like, you know, we're going to do this to the children's ministry. We're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's like nothing ever really happened. Um, but it's like we were expected to like be prepared to bring in our offerings like in May. And um, and again, it's like we weren't rich, <laughs> you know. And so it's like we gave like all we could, you know, um, because that's what was expected of us. Um Let's see, the pressure to commit was really huge. Um, if you weren't there, like, all the time, if you weren't going to the classes, if you weren't volunteering, if you weren't wanting to be a leader, um, like, there's just kind of, like, that judgment towards people, like, mm, like kind of not worth investing into, kind of, like, you know, and so the more time you gave, obviously, the more time you were there with them and kind of the more, I don't know, I guess, favor you kind of earned with them. And so, um, again, now recognizing that's like, okay, I don't need to dedicate like all my spare time with them. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, um, yeah, I think those are probably the, the top red flags that I can think of. And then I think like, uh, I think we mentioned it earlier, the emotionalism, um, from like the worship services and, um, we had encounters, which were like three day retreats where, um, it was like where you would go to the mountains and meet God, um, I hear that now and it sounds kind of creepy. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean you're going to meet God? <laughs> but, um, uh, it's like, again, just very, um, like just that really, like, you know, the way that they have you confess your sins was just like totally not trauma informed, <laughs> like not trauma informed, not healthy. Like people, we didn't need to hear the stuff that we heard and vice versa. Like it was just like, again, like really broke people down. Um, and it was exhausting because we were up in the morning all the way till at night. There was deliverance. There was like, yeah. So it was like 
just really like a, a really uh, prime time to um, indoctrinate people <laughs> when they're tired and and hungry and you know like I, they fed us um, but it's like it, in between all these lessons um, I don't know just it wasn't helpful um, and then you leave the mountains on this really emotional high and then coming back realizing like wait like what am I doing wrong because I'm not feeling that way all the time and so yeah, thank you for sharing that, Dulce. And on the so on the flip side, if someone if we we're going to a church and we're watching for these red flags, and hopefully we don't find the proof texting and the emotionalism and the other red flags that you mentioned. So what are some of the green flags or the healthy traits that should be in the church instead of those unhealthy ways of leadership and teaching and preaching and this kind of thing? Yeah, so I would say as far as like the scriptures go, um, having a pastor um, actually like break down the word like so that it's not just like little verses here and there, um, but really trying to figure out like the context um, of what like what was intended for the for the scriptures, uh, which was again so new to me and really overwhelming, and it still can be because I'm like, man, this is this is a lot of work, <laughs> you know, um, to not get it wrong. Um, just because you know previously it was just so easy for me to just pick a verse, sounded nice, sounded good, all right, let's go. Um, where now it's like, okay, like I want to carefully examine this. I want to know um, who who it was intended for, um, and so that, again, that's still something that I'm learning about. Um, I think having like Bible studies available um, are a great resource for a church to have. Um, um, like a pastor again on Sunday, like not just using like verses here and there, um, but actually like going through um, through the verses. And it doesn't have, I don't think it has to be like necessarily like verse by verse and like that's it, you know, but. So Andrew, you've also shared in the past about your experience with, an unhealthy church. And I'm curious for you as well. I, I'm not sure how old you were when you joined um, that that last church. But knowing what you know now, if you could go back then to when you joined or whenever you would have been old enough to make a decision whether or not to attend there, were there red flags that you could have seen if only you would have known what to look for? Um, and again, I think this is because people have a fear that there's no way to tell. Right. Um, and so it makes choosing a church very scary. So I'd love to hear, were there red flags that you could have seen if, if only you'd known uh, way back when? Yeah, so um, I would say one of the biggest red flags that now I'm more aware of after coming out of it is uh, accountability. Uh, I think you need a system of accountability and you need to see it modeled before you. Um, and it goes into what Dulce was saying earlier regarding um, her leadership and her pastor, where um, they put them on a pedestal where they can't be questioned, you know, they can't um, be criticized. Uh, and and that falls back into what I believe is really essential. When you start looking for a new church is you want to see that there is a system of accountability that the pastor wants to model it to you and, and show that, hey, there's someone that I answer to as well, or there's an overarching organization that I'm responsible to. Um, just so that the, that there's um, 
that that we're following a biblical model because I think that that's expressed in in the Bible uh, regarding church leadership that we should have a hierarchy uh, to help keep people in check. Um, and then uh, alongside with that, um, Dulcie also mentioned um, like studying the scriptures, and this one's a little bit more difficult because my church used uh, similar language. They would. They they still routinely say this. They'll say like, "Well, thank goodness we we preach the truth here," or "Thank goodness um, our pastor um, studies the word thoroughly," right? Um, and one of the things I thought of that was really funny was uh, Dulcie, you were mentioning about like um, uh, uh, cross referencing different scriptures out of context and lacing them throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament and just co- totally disregarding you know the the root meaning of all these scriptures, right? And just trying to pull out whatever meaning we wanted. At my church, we did something similar and I, I coined a term for it between my wife and I, because my pastor was very uh, guilty of doing this. So he would word bank definitions from um, the Strong's um, or from the dictionary. And, and also which dictionary you choose is uh, can, can affect the sermon. So he would, you know, you know how in a, any given dictionary, um, reference, you'll get a you'll get the 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 term it defined, and then it gives you all the different contexts of which the the word could apply. Well, he took that as license to mean that every word applies, or just the word that I want applies, right? And so I was like, here he is, he's word banking again, you know. And then he would do that with the Greek, and it, it's clearly you know skews the scripture, but be, to to the audience. They're like, well, he he is referencing the Greek and he is referencing the 1973 Webster's Dictionary. So therefore, he's, you know, stud- he studied. Um, but the way I see it when, with that is um, you should be able to cross-reference um, truth. So if your truth is isolated to just your church body, then that's, a, that's an issue. Um, because if I teach two plus two equals four, at my school and your school teaches two plus two equals an egg. Um, you know, <laughs> that's not going to cross reference across academies throughout the United States or the world. And I think that's what happens in these churches. They become so isolated that they disregard, uh, other references. And that's why it's so pivotal for them. Like, Hey, don't read any other books other than myself. Don't watch other videos and don't listen to other preachers. And then that falls back into accountability. Yeah. So on that note, Dulce, I'm really curious, um, especially because I'm I'm learning more about the word of faith sex in particular that, you know, really went off on their own and became so unhealthy, like um, the church you've described. But would that church group, and I'm sorry, I already forgot what it's called. I know it's letters and numbers. It was a G12 church. Okay. Yeah. Letters and numbers. <laughs> um, would they, how would they view the rest of the body of Christ? Like, would they view themselves as um, the only right way or the most spiritually mature Christians? Or would they view all churches as the same, on the same level? What did that look like? Um, we definitely thought we were superior. Like we had the right model because it was, um, you know, just, so let me 
uh, break down the model real quick to so make a little bit more sense. Um, so, I mean, the church was considered non-denominational. Um, I would describe it as like hyper charismatic and they also had like, um, uh, Pentecostal roots. Um, and, um, but G12 originated from Colombia. Um, and the guy that founded it, his name Cesar Castellanos. Um, and basically he had this vision, um, from God, he says, um, that, Ever, you know, that he needs to have 12 disciples and then those 12 disciples need to have 12 disciples and so on and so forth. So then that's like his, um, that was his vision from God, he says to multiply. Um, and it's found itself all over the world. And so we just saw, you know, when, when I was introduced to G12, again, it was already in effect throughout the church. And I mean, I was like, well, I've never heard of this. It, like it, for me, it made sense because I literally had no, again, I had no point of reference. Um, so I was like, oh, cool. Like they're actually, they want to disciple, like discipleship was a huge word, um, tossed around. Um, and so we had like G12 books, um, written by Cesar and, um, we had like, we would take discipleship classes, read his books, um, again, read like John Bevere, like, um, you know, just different books, um, that just kind of like, it was basically like an echo chamber, you know, like no one was really teaching anything correctly. And so, um, but they were all, you know, they kind of all came to the same conclusion of, you know, being undercover and prosperity and success and, um, and just dedicating yourself to the vision. Like this was the vision from God. And it's like, why would you question that? Um, and you know, we would see like the other churches like have like, thousands of people in their churches, like in, in South Africa, in Colombia, Miami, Hawaii. Um, we, uh, what was the other? No, okay, that was it that I knew of. And there was like tons, you know, there's others in the US and Europe. Um, the Philippines was another huge one. Um, and we just thought like, wow, like they're, they're discipling really well. And, you know, we did that through life groups. And so, um, so yeah, we thought like this was the coolest model ever like it just made sense um discipleship multiplication and so we had um these different pillars where it was like um consolidation so you consolidate people um oh gosh it's been a while consolidation gosh god i mean i'm glad i forgot them but yeah, congratulations <laughs> <laughs> like this kinds of conversation they, they had like you know just different things that were just yeah. like about g12 um and just again everything revolved around g12 and again we idolized these people we thought they were amazing without fault um and again when they came into town to visit it's like we just kissed the, the floor they walked on and yeah um i don't even remember the actual question now <laughs> My add-on question to that, or at least something I was curious about, was as a word of faith thing, were you guys listening to other more well-known, say, or were you listening to the Osteens and the Hins and the Copelands and the Myers of the world as part of G12, or were you superior to those as well and more isolated in that sense? I mean, I would say, like, we listened to them. Like, we thought they were okay. cool. We still thought we were better. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some congruency, but not necessarily affiliation by any right. chance. Okay. In the end, it was like, well, they're not G12. So do, ah. they, do they really have it right? You know? Um, and so again, we just had this kind of arrogance. And like when people would leave the church and like, let's say find another church, it was like, you know, it's like normally I think now 
like a healthy view would be like, oh, like I'm so happy for you. I'm glad you found a place that's healthy mm. for you. That's good for you and your family. Where, like at the time, it would be like, mm, you know, like side eye. Just <laughs> 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 weren't really happy because it's like, well, how dare you leave like the vision? Like we ha- we have it here. Like if you don't go to an encounter, are you really saved? If you don't go through the class the classes, are you really gonna become uh, spiritually mature? And it's like we had to do all these things to really be it. Um, and you know the pastor would just brag about different things that he'd done in town. Like, Oh, we're the first ones to fill this, you know, um, building and the first ones to do this in the town and blah, blah, blah. You know, so it, was, it always felt like a competition because we had like a, a pretty big arc church, um, in our town as well. And it just always felt like we were competing against each other. Like we were just never really like happy for each other. It was like, Hmm, they're getting pretty big. Ew. You know? And <laughs> wow. like, yeah, I mean, that was like our attitude. Like I just, and we didn't like, fellowship with other churches like it just wasn't like um for us uh, we would describe it as not being fruitful because they weren't part of the vision even though it's like now i'm like that's so ridiculous like we were all believers and and we should be able to fellowship with people from other churches um but it's like if you weren't part of the vision basically like we didn't have time for you mm-hmm. wow um but there's some irony in you know that view of spiritual maturity yeah so one thing that i'm over here thinking is i'm so used to working with christians coming from hyper fundamentalist backgrounds where there are very obvious extra biblical requirements but as i'm as i'm hearing you speak it kind of sounds like this church group that you were unfortunate enough to find yourself in that they had their own type of extra biblical requirements, but it just, instead of like particular dress code, you had to like follow all their models and their structures and go with their pillars. Would you, would you agree with that? And do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I, w- I would agree. Like I, I feel like it's kind of like a, a spoke an unspoken rule, but like sometimes spoken, like only in leadership meetings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so it's not like, hey, if you don't go into an encounter, like, then you're not saved. But it's like, that's the way that we view people is like, if you don't go to an encounter, how are you really going to know God? You know, like, that's how we viewed it. And it's like, oh my gosh. And it's like, I remember at the time thinking like, well, then how do other people become Christians if they're not here or at churches like this? And it's like, there was like that, uh, what do you call it? That cognitive dis- d- dissonance that I see it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it didn't make sense. But then it's like, again, I just, I, I followed blindly. And so I didn't know how to really ask these questions. And I wasn't given the opportunity to, um, because that was frowned upon too. Like, that's another red flag is like, you should be able to ask questions. You should be able to, um, like, it shouldn't be a scary thing. Like for us, people that asked a lot of questions, we, we considered them difficult people. (laughs) Hmm. Um, I had a few in my group who were, they did not submit the way that was expected. And, um, I love them to death now. Like we are on good terms. Um, praise God. But you know, at the time it was like, man, like this girl's asking way too many questions. Like, why can't she, why can't she just sit here and listen to what, you know, to us going through the pastor's notes and just like move on, you know, why can't she just be easy? You know? And it's like, gosh, like that was such a valuable thing for her though. Um, that I was like trying to like choke out, you know, and it's like, but that's just what I knew is we don't, we don't question, we don't ask too many questions. That's weird. 
So can I take it she didn't stay very long yeah. with all those questions? Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so so the extra, extra so there there are kind of four tenants that I look for when someone's saying like I feel like this church group isn't healthy and maybe it's a group or a church I'm not familiar with so I'll start asking questions or, around these four areas and one is the extra biblical requirements um one is authoritarianism and that's when you know the leaders feel like they they have the authority to dictate personal details um, of your life and there's the idolatry of the leaders that you've already spoken to um would you feel in general or do you have any other examples <laughs> i'm thinking of some from your reels actually it just occurred to me um where you saw that authoritarianism where the leaders like really crossed personal boundaries and felt like they could dictate your life instead of training you to make your own decisions and you know live your own life following christ ask questions yeah um no you we like we really depended on the leaders to make our choices um leaving um being able to make my own choices and decisions was so hard and it still can be so hard because i was so dependent on like asking someone for permission basically um and but that's how again that's how I lived my life for nine years is these major you know decisions like my husband had to go to the like in and again it's hard sorry I'm going all over the place a little bit it's hard because it's like I feel like they take things that are good and they really skew them um because you know it's like they would use the scriptures like um the many counselors one uh um like their, their success and having many counselors, something along those lines. And so they would use that, you know, so that we would counsel with them. Um, and so, but then like someone like me, like I became really dependent on like, I need to ask them for basically for advice on every single major decision of my life. Um, and so I became so dependent on just like going to my, my leader, uh, my husband, again, dependent on going to, um, to the pastor. Cause my husband was part of the inner circle. So he was part of the pastor's 12, um, part of the 12 disciples, um, that the pastor had. Um, and then I was like a tear down. So like one of the pastor's wife's 12 was my leader. Um, and so it, it, it was really hard because again, I was so dependent on them to make decisions. Um, I think because I, like, I didn't know, how to make my own decisions. I was scared of if I mess up, you know, like what happens if I mess up, you know, like I, I decided not to go to university. Like, so I started going my senior year. Um, I was ready to go to university. I wanted to get out of town. I wanted to like experience life a little. Um, and then I went to the encounter. I, you know, I started going to the classes and I was like, okay, maybe I won't go out of state. I'll go to a different town, you know? But again, I kept going to the classes and then it was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't think I can do that. Like I need to finish my discipleship classes here in town. So then I ended up staying in town um, because I didn't trust myself to be able to remain a Christian because there's all these spirit tactics on people who go off to college. Don't, don't um, stay Christians. And so I'm like, no, I can't go back, you know? And it's like, again, everything was just based around the the church and what they thought. And, um, and again, I was 17. I didn't know, like, these are big decisions. Um, and that really carried on for the next nine years of just having to consistently ask. Um, and again, there was a lot of boundaries crossed, um, just really inappropriate 
questions um, that were not helpful and just, yeah, not helpful. Yeah. So, and then the other two areas that I, I'm thinking of, so one we already touched on, which was the elitism um, aspect, you know, thinking we're superior, we're the one right way to God, we're above all the other church groups. I'm kind of curious, hopefully yeah, so in the groups that I'm familiar with, most of them would be like, and if they really get saved, God will lead them to us, or we're the light, and if they follow the light, they'll come into our group. Did you ever hear anything like that? Um, I guess maybe not specifically like that. Again, we just kind of, whoever got there, we try to, you know, um, I mean, we basically love bombed people. As soon as they walked in, mm. we, had, we had our eyes on people. Um like new people, we saw them, we made sure that like someone had a connection card, you know, and again, it's like, these things aren't bad, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I think they can be helpful tools for churches, you know, getting counsel, like getting connected to someone there. Um, but we like went really overboard and we're like texting them all the time and trying to get like, trying to get in their lives, you know, without really building like a healthy relationship, you know? Um, and so again, like the love on me, it's like, you just felt so loved and amazing. And like, wow. Like, and that's like one of the things that intrigued me was like, oh, wow. Like everyone seems like, like, it seems like such a nice community and like, oh, like, you know, at the time I was having a lot of issues with my mom, we weren't getting along. Um, and so like, I, I really desired like, um, like a, a mentor and everyone again was really kind. Um, but what I didn't realize is that a lot of the times it was conditional and based on me being there and like, yeah, me, me being there and committing my whole life to them. Um, because if you go off to college, they're going to forget about you. If you, you know, if you have to work, then you better make sure you still get to life group. You know, like I would get off work and drive straight to life group, even though it's like, there was really no reason for me to go. Cause I would only get there for a half hour, but I needed to show my dedication and to show them that I was not falling behind. <laughs> and so, um, it, it was hard. Wow. Andrew, have you ever seen or experienced love bombing or did your church take a different approach? I asked because that that concept is so foreign to me, but I know there are a lot of cults and toxic churches that use that. It's like, if you're interested in coming here, then we love you so much. Um, but then, of course, all that affection is, you know, it's it's a it's a means to an end. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as you if it shows that you might not attend there or, or, or whatnot or follow the rules, then it's all it's all gone. It's, it's fake. Um, Andrew, I'm just curious what your experience has been. Yeah, so it was a little bit more subtle at my church, um, and because it was so authoritarian, a lot of that came directly from the pulpit. And, um, you know, we were kind of like a weird blend of, like, on the verge of being a a larger church than our, I guess, um, peers in our denomination, you know, like, breaching 300 and like when i initially came and as a young person we were like close to 400 so like we had like the balcony and stuff we were like oh wow this is a lot of people um but he w- it still felt small enough for the pastor where he could call out individuals and he still does this to this day like if you were to sample any of the services he would like look at someone that he never seen before he's like you know what the lord has something for you you just stick with it stay here and uh 
man, I know God's got something planned for you. And it could just be some guy that ran randomly walked in, but he would uh, flatter people. I guess that's the 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 version that was he employed was, uh, you know, if you thought you were particularly smart, like someone was going to school for engineering, it's like, man, he's so smart. And I mean, I think this is one of the jokes I remember in my head. He was like, I could see the numbers coming off of your head right now. You're just so smart. Just keep coming and God's going to use that. Right. And he would just do that for everybody. Like, you know, if they had a, a nice car, man, you got a nice car. You know, he's, he had a weird fixation with cars. Um, I know it sounds goofy, like it's like almost like a character of a person, but this was really my pastor for my whole life. Um, but he did that from the pulpit. And, and you know, when you're conditioned in that environment, you start seeking it out. You want to be called out by the pastor. And so you would do everything to be seen. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there was things where like, I remember there was an individual in my church, like she volunteered to come to the church to clean with, um, um, with the cleaning staff. And she had no obligation to, she wasn't paid to, but it gave her that leeway in to be praised publicly. And so she would get praised and like, oh man, she didn't have to come out. And she, she took out of her weekend and, you know, spent eight hours cleaning the church. And it's like, so you have this in a culture where everyone's trying to one up each other to get in the good graces. And then when you don't do well, or you start veering away from those, um, you know, those qualities that the, the pastor needs to see, then he starts drawing it away. All of a sudden those comments start disappearing. Uh, your friends don't want to like reach out to you and they even discourage it. Like, um, one of my closest friends, um, they, they were told by their close friends growing up, don't talk to them anymore because, you know, I think her husband, this couple, I know her husband uh, was starting to grow a beard and that's like taboo in our denomination. So they're like, don't talk to him. He's, he's, he can't be used by God anymore. I do have to chime in. I have to chime in, Andrew, that um, even though you left, I don't I don't think the pastor stopped talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little obsessed right now. Um, yeah. Uh, I, well, anyways, leave that. I'll leave that B where it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. Okay. But, yeah, so the four... Yes, it's extra biblical requirements, the authoritarianism, the elitism, and then the other one's actually tribalism. Because mm. um, there are some groups that I've noticed, they won't claim they're the one right way to God or the best way to God or the most spiritually mature church. But they still will have this like clan, clannish attitude. Um, just, I would call it very unhealthy loyalty such that all their priorities are messed up. The church is above your marriage. The church is above your family. The church is above your own health. Um, and if you ever leave the church, you're just like scum of the earth. You've betrayed us, rejected us. Did you ever see that kind of tribalism, Dulce? Yeah, there was um, the word that comes to mind is like the inappropriate loyalty. Um, and again, it, it happened with me. Um, in my marriage, you know, where I was choosing the church, you know, um, thinking I was pleasing God. And, you know, like, I really genuinely thought, like, this is what God wants, you know, because this is what my pastor's saying. I like, I trusted him that much that's like, okay, like, this is, this must be right. He's been in ministry a lot longer than I've probably been alive, you know. And so um, that was really, um, I mean, we saw it all the time. It was our normal is, Again, our whole world revolved around the church. You know, we didn't want to move 
cities because the church was there. If they asked us to move cities to do it, you know, to build the church, we would have done it. Like we were all like me and my husband were all in, like they told us jump. We said, how high, you know, like, like, again, my husband was like all in. like, sometimes I felt like he was more all in than me. And so that's why when he like started questioning things, it was like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> he's one of the 12. Yeah. <laughs> And it was just like, that's not normal. Like, like, and again, everyone was shocked. <laughs> like it was just, it came from, cause he went from like speaking on a Sunday to like three weeks later, he's like, I'm out, I can't do this. And then we're like, what's going on? You know? Um, but again, like it kind of reeled him back in for a little bit, but, um, but again, I was choosing, um, the church over spending time with my family, you know, um, for those nine years, like I really didn't have a, a close, like I I had a relationship with my sisters, but there was only so much that I could share because I was the leader um, and I couldn't share personal stuff with them because we didn't do that. Like if they weren't on our level, we, we don't do that. We only share with our peers or people upward, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, during those eight months, that mean my husband's marriage was like falling apart. Um, I was not allowed to share with the group that I was leading that my marriage was falling apart. So mm-hmm. I had to show up every Monday, happy face, you know, like, make, you know, like everything's fine. Like, you know, life is great. Let's go through the message. And, you know, they were not allowed to know there was no, and like, and I, I mean, they have told me that they had like little hints because I just, there was just something going on, but they didn't know what, but again, I wasn't allowed to share. Um, and again, only the group that I attended, uh, which again, that was another day, Tuesdays, because <laughs> um, only only the inner group in that group were allowed to know, which were other leaders, you know, so only leaders were basically allowed to share with leaders what was going on. And so, um, so again, I just had like the small group of people who knew that my marriage was falling apart, but my husband was crazy. So it's not my fault. (laughs) And, um, and so, yeah, but again, I was, I chose over and over, like, and my husband would try to like, throughout that time, I can remember on the days off where I wasn't at church, he would ask me questions and I, I wish I, I wish I had written them down, but he would like ask me questions sometimes about certain things um, like regarding the church and their teachings. Um, and it, it would begin to like, it's like my critical thinking, kind of like the wheels kind of began to spin. And I was like, Hmm, I'm like, you make sense, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but then, you know, then the next day I'd be back at church and it, all the work he'd done <laughs> undone, you know, because, Oh, I'm listening, you know, he's crazy. You know, this is a word from God. And, Um, and so, yeah, there was definitely just choosing your family or choosing the church over your family was normal, but it was, again, they would never say, oh, choose the church. It'd be, oh, you're choosing God. You know, you're serving God. It's his kingdom. Um, you know, cause they would say like, oh, like it's God, family, then church, but it really wasn't, (laughs) you know, um, it's, it's unfortunate how little time we had with our kids. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful that they were young, um, when we left, um, but it was still really hard because we were constantly trying to find babysitters. Um, and we were like, I was working full time still, um, you know, like a Tuesday night, I hardly or Tuesdays, like I hardly ever saw my kids. I, you know, go to work, um, you know, drop the kids off, um, with the nanny, go to work, pick up the kids. 
um, and then uh, be with them like maybe an hour, um, take them to my mom's, and then I drive off to Life Group, which then would probably end around nine, um, and then pick up the kids, and they were asleep already, you know, mm-hmm. and so there was just like, and that was just our normal. This was our devotion to God you know, is what we would say and, um, is the way that we justified it. Um, and of course no one in my family ever really said anything. They just were like, "Mm, okay, you know, but, um, but yeah, that, that was really hard. Like looking back, it's like, uh, like we missed out on so much time, but I'm grateful again that, that they were young enough. Um, but it's, you know, it's hard hearing other people's stories whose kids grew up in that environment, you know, their whole life and they don't, you know, they don't get to really get that time back. Oh, yeah. And so how many times a week was that multiple times a week? Um, So I was a leader. So I led a group. I went to a group because leaders also needed accountability. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, Sundays. And then there's um, occasionally like the leaders meetings and then like whatever other event, like they're always trying to find a way to be busy. Mm. Uh, And so but yeah, for sure you were, you know, they're on Sundays all day um, or, you know, seven to like one or two. But then if you had classes and you're there all day, unless they scheduled it for another day, um, mm-hmm. you know, life groups, if you're a leader, you had to attend one as well. Um, and then you had to attend the leaders meetings and again, whatever other events were there. So, I mean, it, it was taxing on us, you know. By design. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of vulnerability, amongst all the cognitive dissonance that you would have had throughout that, that's grueling. Yeah. Yeah, I will say, like, when COVID hit, um, we, me and my husband, honestly, were so grateful. Like, we didn't really, like, say it out loud, but, like... <laughs> <laughs> but it was real. Yeah, like, like when the like when we had to shut down, you know, for a couple of weeks, I was like, Whew, like, we don't have to be children's ministry. We don't, like, it was like, man, this is nice, you know? Um, but again, they tried opening up as soon as possible. So it's like within a few months we were back, but it was like, man, this was nice, you know? But then we were still part of a class that we were like, we still had to do on Zoom, <laughs> running around. And it was like, really, like, not effective, really. Yeah. <laughs> We had to have our cameras on. We had to participate. And it's like, okay, like, we don't mind the kiddos screaming. Oh, it's your life. <laughs> yeah, so I've, I hadn't planned to share this, but I've been sharing it with everyone lately. So you talked about the leadership, though, and the leadership, like, you could only share upward. You could only share with the people above you. And you had to act like everything was fine with the people below you. Um, so I was just at a conference, Holiness Missions to America or HMA conference. And this was a topic and we had some great um, open discussion questions. And so I shared, I said, you know, like seven years ago um, around that in Bible school, there was someone who I had utmost respect for that came into our classroom very sternly and told my class that ministry was going to be so lonely. And he was so serious um, and he said, you know, you can't be friends with the people you minister. You can't let your hair down. You might show up at one of their events to make a presence, but you stay to the back and you leave and you keep a distance and you're not vulnerable and you don't share and you're not friends with people you minister to. And it's going to be lonely. So at this conference, there were some ministers 
who come from the same background I do. So they understand they've heard this before. They're very familiar with this kind of rhetoric. But that that was one of those things that I'm still disentangling. Like even years later, I'm just like, what is ministry supposed to be? Because I know I'm not supposed to like trauma talk on like people I'm trying to help, but where's the balance? And so I I asked that of some of the ministers at this conference that I really respect, and they just they just said that's that's totally bogus. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And one said it's lonely at the top because we made it lonely at the top. And he shared how in these unhealthy church environments, there's a top-down leadership. And he shared how he used to rule <laughs> over ministry. He used to run ministries that way where he was the top boss and the top guy. And you respect him and you call him, you know, the respectful titles and the spiritual titles. And you don't call him by his first name. And he was open and vulnerable with us about um, how defensive he was and how careful he was. He does, He wasn't sharing. He wasn't vulnerable with the people he helped. And he said, it was so lonely. It was horribly lonely. And he said, but that's not how it's supposed to be. And um, someone else was sharing and saying, you know, we're supposed to be, it's supposed to be like a family, the body of Christ. We're all equal. And that's the part that a lot of these unhealthy church groups don't understand. Um, and this minister said, you know, if we're all at the top, it's not lonely at the top or more like it. We're all at the bottom and it's not lonely at the bottom because we're all on the same level. We're all family. And he even gave the example of, you know, we want to be able to share everything with our spouses, but sometimes it's like we just kind of sense like they're not able to carry everything that we have right then. And so we we hold off or hold back. And so they shared that as an example of how, you know, sometimes the people we're helping might not be able to carry our full burden. So we go to someone with more experience or, or just who's more emotionally available and able to to be with us in those very dark times. Um, and so, you know, we want to be loving and considerate of the other people and not put too much on them. But we also have to model being vulnerable and transparent and real and authentic and not put up a facade um, or we will be lonely. And also, you know, how do they trust us when we're not being real and we're being fake? So, man, it was it was such a good conversation. But I think my favorite part um, was when someone chimed in, speaking of the minister that I quoted at the at the beginning and said, it sounded like that guy, you know, something happened to him. Like he got hurt by people he was helping. And so he put up all the walls and said, okay, we don't share anymore. We, we keep, we keep all our stuff inside um, and it's going to be lonely. And so someone, I think probably rightly pointed out, sounds like something happened to him. But then the other ministers who were sharing said, you know, that's kind of like a, imagine a dog who, um, you know, broke its leg and now its leg heals crooked because it's easier for it to heal crooked and stay crooked. And now it has to limp than to set that leg. It's easier to just be like, I'm done with people. We don't share. We're lonely as ministers. We're not vulnerable rather than, you know, deal with that hurt um, and work through it and heal. So that uh, hesitancy to be vulnerable is like, limping like like the dog with the broken leg is limping but this was like this is my favorite part is and then someone chimed in and said and you know what there's an actual in actual real life there are instances of you know a mom dog has a limp and then her puppies start limping because they're following her and and then someone said and that's like you know and then that minister told your whole bible school class don't be vulnerable. Don't be real. Be lonely. Don't open up to people who you're serving. 
And basically, we have a whole class now that are people who are limping and we don't have broken legs because there are people who never deal with dealt with their hurts who are putting up walls and not not healing. And then they're telling us how to put up walls and don't heal. And we were never even wounded. Um, so anyways, I was just like, that whole conversation was so good. Wow. Um, I think what's interesting about that too, if I can add, go for um, it. I think that, um, that's also, I think for a, a lot of people, it's a reflection of their, um, uh, of their narcissistic tendency. Like think there's some people that are, um, there's this like disturbing trend. I, I, I maybe it's not so much a trend as maybe happened throughout church history, but, uh, people who have a, an obsession with their own grandiose view of themselves tend to gravitate towards positions of power or positions of um of being seen right and in church settings that's ministry and i think that uh, uh brings you to a place where you you want to be guarded to protect your uh view to others right you don't want to tarnish your reputation and so uh there are many people that i've seen in, in my experience in the church that I grew up with, they don't, they, they say the similar language where they're like, I can't hang out with the common people because it will, uh, obstruct my ability to minister to them. Right. It'll interfere with that. And in, in reality, it's a reflection of themselves. It, not so much that they're like, I'm so proud that I can't tarnish my image, but they're not allowing themselves to be vulnerable to their own detriment because they can never share. And that's one of the qualities uh, that I started looking into regarding, um, you know, uh, narcissism as a personality disorder is you tend, they, those individuals tend to have almost zero friends because they're solely focused on protecting their image. Um, and so to me, that's what I hear when, when pe- people say that as ministers, we're like, well, I, I can't interact with people. I can't be vulnerable you know, it's going to be so lonely. And in reality, they're protecting their image because something damaged them when they were children that didn't allow them to just like, hey, it's normal to be, to make mistakes. It's normal to own up to mistakes uh, throughout the course of No one is perfect, um, but they've led themselves to believe and led their followers to believe like you can only portray a perfect image to anyone that follows you. And to do that, you have to guard uh, any intimate parts of your life. That's super sad and tragic. And if you can't be vulnerable, then you can't truly be accountable. You can't truly be known and loved for who you are. And everybody's weaker and uh, more, more vulnerable in that way to all the wrong things that can happen, all of the bad ways that can go down. Yeah, absolutely. I echo that. Um, so we've talked a lot about the extra-biblical requirements, the authoritarianism, the elitism, the tribalism, these red flags of toxic churches. A little bit of love bombing. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, and but, but I think before we close out this episode, it would be injustice, injustice if we didn't at least touch on the importance of sound doctrine. Um, and so, Dulce, I know in the church that you and your, your family left, there were doctrinal issues. We've already talked about a little bit of how there was word of faith and we would understand, you know, this is not a prosperity gospel. This is not 
you know, we just get whatever carnal desires we want as long as we pray them in Jesus' name. That's that's a misuse of scripture and a misuse of Christ's name. Um, but there was also an, some other false doctrine in that church that really stood out to me. Um, and I believe it was, did your husband end up kind of doctrine being the final straw for him? And if there's anything on, on the topic of false doctrine that you or your husband saw, I, I'm really interested to hear that before we end. Yeah, um, so... What started him questioning, or one of the things that started him questioning, um, was the doctrines. Um, so uh, the little God theology got brought up, um, and so he was like asking, like about you know he he went to the pastor. Um, the pastor, like again during this time, he's he's confirmed that he believes in the little God doctrine. Um, could, sorry, could you explain what that is? Because I think most of our listeners will have never heard of it. Okay, yeah. Um, so there's this verse, gosh, again, I, I should have probably written this down. There's a verse somewhere that um, says something about being a little God. Um, and so they'll use that verse um, and they'll apply it to themselves, <laughs> like like as if God's called us little gods. Um, and so then we have, you know, we're supposed to have the same authority, power, everything, which is why we can't like, I feel like the only reason that the word of faith even exists is because of because of the little God doctrine, because mm. how else would you be able to speak things into existence if you weren't a little God, you know? So kind of like, I feel like for me, it all just kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and so again, he, he knows that that sounds weird because he would say, well, we don't say that from the stage, you know, but we believe that it's in the Bible, you know? And it's like, well, why wouldn't you say that from the stage? Because it's going to weird people out, of course, <laughs> you know? Um, but it's like, he's admitted that, like, he believes he's a little God, that he, you know, like, basically that he's equal to Jesus. Um, wow. And they, um, again, my I wish my husband was here because he does a much better job articulating kind of more of the theology, um, because he was the one that kind of really dove into that um again i left because i was like tired of fighting <laughs> and um and it wasn't until after the fact that i was like man that was all bad um but again from my understanding with the little god doctrine is they basically um jesus on earth was not god um so they removed his deity um and so that's the only way that we're able to become a little god is if they remove that um which becomes heretical really fast right <laughs> uh, and so yeah so um yeah so again i'm i can probably like send you guys a link from like got questions that talks about little god theology and we'll explain it much better but um that was like the tipping point for my husband is when he started asking the questions was the little god theology um and then that just kind of like revealed a lot of things to him and um and again it wasn't until after the fact like a month later that i everything began to make sense and um and i was like wow like oh what one story that was kind of funny it was while i was still there my husband tried having me watch the american gospel (laughs) and um I don't, I don't even, I don't even think we got five minutes in. Um, and I was like, turn it off. And nope, not, you know, cause it just felt like an attack, you know, like they had Joel Olstein on there like, and it just felt, I was like, nope, I can't, this is dumb. Like, 
turn it off. Like, and I just totally shut down, totally shut down. And again, it wasn't until after a month of me leaving and hearing that YouTube video. And then I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to watch that again. And then I watched it and I just got chills because it's just like, that's again, everything. I was like, oh my gosh. And like, that was like, for me, like my moment of like repenting, like, oh my gosh, God, like I, I misused your word and I taught it so wrong. And I led people down a a really unbiblical way. Like, I am so sorry. And it just, it hurt my heart so much like that. I did that and that I was a part of that. And, um, but there was just so much freedom in understanding the gospel, you know, that it wasn't about money. It wasn't about like what we would get now and like, um, and like submission and all of that. Um, it wasn't about any of that, you know, it was that, you know, I'm a sinner and Christ died for me and, and resurrected. And there was nothing that I could do to earn it. There wasn't enough discipleship classes. There wasn't enough volunteering. There wasn't, um, you know, it didn't matter how many late nights we stayed at the pastor's house or in meetings, like that was irrelevant to what Christ did. Um, and it was just, gosh, it was, it was a hard, painful moment, but also so beautiful to just, I don't know, have my eyes finally opened. Like, and again, it just, for me, it sucked because then I, I mean, for a while I was angry. I was like, God, like, why would I even go through that? Like, if you knew it was wrong, why, why would, why would you let me get there? Um, but I'm just so grateful that now I have my story where I can share with others and connect with others and let them know that they're not alone because I felt totally crazy. You know, I was like, what is going on? Like everyone stopped talking to me. Like, like now I'm trying to hold them accountable, which is a whole different story. <laughs> and, um, and no one's listening to me. And, um, but I don't know, just every, everything now, again, over time through lots of counseling, which again, if I feel like if a church is like anti-mental health or like, like if they know their limits, you know, like I, I think a good church will know their limits and know when to lead people to an outside resource that can better help them like counseling and therapy. Um, that's great. Um, but again, the church that we're in, we had, you know, in-house counseling, not helpful. (laughs) Um, and so, um, again, through lots of counseling and a really patient church, um, that we're in right now. And, um, they've just been so kind and understanding and, and hearing and holding our story. Um, gosh, it's just, it's made a world of a difference. And it's just, it's been really cool to see like the, just the opposite of what I experienced. Like, wait, like, why is the pastor's wife not scary? You know, like she, (laughs) can I really trust her? (laughs) You know, I'm like, what, you know, it's like, like they just, they, it's not like a role for them. You know, it's not, it's just like, uh, it's not about rank. Um, it's just, they're there to serve us, you know? Um, and yeah, it's just, it, it's been, uh, I don't know, a, I don't want to say a beautiful ending because it's, you know, I'm still on this journey of healing, but, um, I've been really grateful for where God's led me, um, into like, again, a healthier church, uh, you know, more Sunday store kind of scary, um, you know, they're triggering, <laughs> um, but they don't pressure me to show up on Sundays, <laughs> you know, which has been great. They're, they're, they're really kind and, and understanding. Um, but I'm, you know, I like more of the small group Bible studies, you know, I feel more comfortable and like, 
Um, I can like just share there more um, and learn about the Bible. Um, like there's just so many things sometimes that I'm like, what? Like I had that wrong this whole time. Like you're joking. Like that was so dumb, you know? <laughs> Um, but it's great. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that God is just continuing to open my eyes to these things. And so, um, yeah, aside from bad character in like leaders and, um, them misusing their authority is, um, again, sound doctrine is so important in all of this, you know, and I went through my little phase of like kind of questioning, um, but I'm glad that I had my husband there to kind of bounce off, like as I kind of vented and ask questions. Cause I was like, I don't know. Like, I felt like I'm like, God's kind of mean for doing that. Like that was rude. You know, <laughs> like I was in a cult. What the heck? You know, I dedicated my whole life. I need my money back, you know, but, <laughs> um, but again, God is so kind and so patient is what I'm learning. And he's not afraid of my questions. He's not afraid of my feelings, my big emotions. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think I've like now I've come to terms that God is just, again, just so much more kinder than I, than I thought he was and just so much more patient. Um, because again, we just, we hit our feelings. We just, you know, uh, pretended like we were better, you know, you know, we didn't give into the negative thoughts, all of that. Um, and mm-hmm. so, um, now it's like, Hey, like there's, there's something chemically wrong with my brain and <laughs> that's, that's okay. I can get help for that, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, yeah, sorry. I, I kind of ventured off on a bunny trail there. That was a great trail, though. That was a very good trail. I would just say any kind of prosperity gospel, any kind of extra biblical well, promise that God will give us something because of us living in this system, uh, then we don't get it and or we get something disappointing that we were promised we were never going to experience, we were never going to feel, we tend to be really angry and or defensive with God from there on out until he helps us address that, until we see the grace and the kindness and, oh, it was really his love that did leave us in that. Yeah. As hard as it was to bring us out of it. And we're like, I didn't, that's not what I was promised by any means. This hurts. This really hurts. Why, God? And, yeah, he makes it better later. Yeah, Absolutely. Doctrine is so important, and one of the reasons doctrine is so important is because doctrine changes us. If we have our doctrine correct, and if we're if we're internalizing it, not if we you know if we just give it lip service, that's that's another story. But if we internalize it and we have that right relationship with Christ, and we are pursuing Him and following Him and changing to become like Him, then that will affect the way that we lead, the way that we treat others, the way that we act, the way that we're vulnerable, the way that we confess our faults and don't just try to hide them. It it changes us and it changes the dynamic of the church culture and understanding the body of Christ and humility instead of uh, superiority. And it, it changes everything. And of course, we're not going to fall for all the extra biblical requirements when we have the doctrine right, because we understand the scripture. So we understand God himself a little better. Absolutely. So with that, we're going to go into closing thoughts. Um, Andrew, any takeaways that you have? And then Cole and then Dulce, we'll, we'll have you close this out. Andrew. Yeah. So I saw a lot of um, parallels with your story and your husband. 
they'll say when you were mentioning how um uh recalling back to your like almost a guttural rejection of watching the american gospel just like hearing certain things because i had the same experience i did similar things as well and i i came to the conclusion that um if truth is truth then it can stand to scrutiny and so i decided in in my heart to be like sort of an apologist for our beliefs and that's kind of actually ironically what drew me out of what i believed into healthier doctrine and so leading into the point that you just shared natalie is um i I, i've heard some of my critics and others that criticize you know what we do here um well why why bother like why are you pushing so hard like can't we just agree to disagree or this is just a difference of opinions like let them live the way they want i've gotten like nasty messages from people like just leave us alone like why are you so bothered but that's this is why i feel so strongly not because i, I want to get a got you on people and it's like see i was right and you were wrong is it really mars your view of god when you have incorrect doctrine it's not just innocent. It causes you to, to behave in ways that God never intended to harm others, to harm yourself. Um, and it, it slows your progress um, in your walk with Christ. And that's what a lot of people actually that I started uh, following have said. And Dulce, I, I know that's sort of the sentiment you're sharing. Like, oh, I wish I could have got a refund on all this time because that's what, how I felt too when I came out of it. Like All the years I spent rehashing the bad teaching and now i have to start at ground zero and rebuild my theology on better doctrine on on sound doctrine uh and that's the 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 sad reality is people are coming out of it in like their 60s and 70s and like oh wow i already ex executed so much damage to my family to my children to extended family members because of something I misunderstood. So it's not just a difference of opinions or just like, you know, let us be. It's actually pretty dangerous when we start to uh, elevate authoritarianism and, and put these pastors into um, pedestals that they shouldn't be in and, and worshiping them. Um, and that's, that's why I feel so strongly to, to speak out on those things and to, and to encourage people to find healthier communities and study doctrine. Absolutely, Paul. Say, as we encounter in our various different faith journeys and churches we've grown up in and encountered, that it can be rather disorienting and very discouraging every time you find another thing that isn't quite biblical or maybe it's in there but it's overemphasized to the point of unhealthy drifting from what is god's heart to more of a oh we need to do this in order to be saved or in order to fit in etc and so forth i would cite c.s lewis i believe was the the big proponent of the law of non-contradiction in finding the truth every part of the bible is going to fit in with every other part of the bible so if we learn to practice good hermeneutics the idea that you have the entire word of god in its context each part written to say the people of israel or to us as the children like there there you if you read every part of it with the original intent not what it means to me what it means to you what does it mean what does God 
like there might be multiple applications for it, but what did God mean when he wrote it through this person, through this particular author of a particular book? How do we uh, examine it faithfully in order to then apply it proportionally to his glory? That's where we can feel very confident, very secure, very solid foundation footed to then move forward, not limping, not with fear, but knowing that in God's grace, with the help, hopefully, of a good, healthy church where you have those levels of vulnerability, accountability, honesty, we can only move more towards that together. That is very reassuring. That is very peaceful. That is very congruent with, yeah, the healthy Christian life and walk with God. Agreed. And in this conversation, we have just skimmed the surface of red flags of unhealthy churches. And Brian Olinus, we have community groups uh, seasonally. And in the past, one that I've led is on the topic of unhealthy churches. And we have talked for this about this for six weeks, multiple hours every time. Um, there's so much depth we could get into it. But they'll say thank you so much for joining us because you have uh, given another perspective and helped us um, to just have a bro- broader scope, um, especially because a lot of our audience is leaving the hyper-fundamentalist churches, but we don't want them to go from that to, you know, a, a G, oh goodness, 12, 12. Yeah, church, because, you know, while they don't make us wear jean skirts, we want to see the overarching um, red flags and common denominators in these unhealthy environments so that uh, we can apply that and use discretion in where we go and make sure it is a biblically based, biblically sound, Christ-honoring church. And so thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. And with that, if you have any closing thoughts, and then if you'd like to pray us out, we'd appreciate that. Yeah, um, just real quick closing thoughts. Um, I'm just going to go through my little green flags list really, really quickly because I know Please we talked a lot was a transparency is huge. Uh, making sure financial transparency is available, making sure that there's transparency within um, the boards, making sure that there is a board. <laughs> you know, um, I know Andrew mentioned accountability. Um, I would even go further as to say like, and I know this isn't like, you know, a foolproof plan but um a local elder board um ours was not local it was like his like friend and pastor like from like a different city and so like they weren't really they weren't really involved you know and so um i think having like an actual like local elder board um that's going to help keep the pastors accountable i would then i would say having multiple pastors who are not related (laughs) would be helpful (laughs) um for some reason it's like at least in my experience of what I, from what I've seen is um, it's, it's like a lot of um, the nepotism, as I say it, um, yep. like, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the the father, the son, you know, the wife, the daughter, you know, everyone's all involved, the uncle, like everyone was related there. Um, so, you know, I would say like, I'm not saying that's totally, you know, like that's always the toxic, you know, red flag, but I would just be mindful of that because um, it can be hard to keep family accountable um, in those spaces. Um, so making sure that there's just like a healthy, like, again, way to, and protocol to have accountability available for the leadership, 
Um, again, no clicks, you know, making sure that it's not like a, you know, um, the 12s, you know, they, they had their own, like that was the 12s. Oh, everyone wanted to be part of the 12. Um, I didn't actually, I was too scared. The pastor's life was way too scary for me. <laughs> I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> Don't want to do that. Um, but, um, but yeah, making sure that's like, there's like, everyone's equal. Everyone's like, there's no one's like, uh, again, that really strong authority, um, kind of personality. Um, and so, um, and then I know we mentioned like being, having outside source resources available, you know, and encouraging that thing, but like, that's so huge. Like my husband was like, looked down on because he went and talked to another pastor about questions on theology and we're like, wow, what is he doing? That's ridiculous. You know? And it's like, we, you know, like the pastor said, like he has everything he needs here. He could have asked what someone else on the 12, I could have, I could have had him talk to one of my board members. Um, which again, it's like, there was literally nothing wrong with him talking to a different pastor. (laughs) Like, you know, so it's like, like again th- that possessiveness like was just really strange little insecurity there right mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah no i i totally agree um but yeah so that's like just my quick little list on just some things to look out for like you know just making sure that there are those things in place um and so yeah thank you guys so much for having me tonight and yeah, i really appreciate it yeah now end in prayer thank you uh, Yes, Lord, thank you so much for tonight and for the conversation um, that we were able to have with each other and to learn and grow um, from our experiences and from your word, Lord. Um, I pray that the people listening, Lord, would be encouraged, that you would give them um, the wisdom um, and discernment, Lord, as they um, seek healthier churches, as they build healthier churches. Lord, I pray that you would go before them um, and again, just give them um, discernment, um, help them to make healthy choices, um, and help them Lord, to um, to build um, healthy churches um, so that we could ultimately bring glory to you. Um, so I just thank you for tonight and the conversation. Um, I pray that everyone has an amazing week. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's episode. Please consider following, subscribing, and leaving a five-star review. The Not Ashamed Podcast is brought to you by Berean Holiness. We'll see you next month with another episode, but until then, check out the Berean Holiness website and social media for more content. May God richly bless you on your journey of rebuilding faith and discovering the gospel of grace.